Alright, I guess I am told that I can start whenever I am ready. So, what's up, Birdland? My name is Derek Arnold. I am the senior editor at UtahStreetReport.com. Uh, we recently had our fourth birthday the other day, so I just want to say thanks to everyone for hanging out and talking O's with us for the last four seasons. I am joined today by Phil Backert. Phil is a producer for Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. Uh, you'll probably recognize his voice from the Baltimore Airwaves. Uh, Phil used to be the producer of Rob Long's other morning show back when he was on Fox 1370 Sports, when that was a thing in Baltimore. And uh, for the last few seasons, Rob's been kind enough to have Phil on once a week to talk about the O's during the season. Uh, it's nice of him. We'll be sure to let you guys know when to listen for that this year. And last but certainly not least, Phil has been a writer at ESR since we started things. So what's up, Phil? Not much, Derek. And, uh, congratulations on fatherhood. Oh, man, thank you. It is, it, it is different for sure. Um, you guys don't know, my son turned two weeks old yesterday. Brooks is uh, he's still kicking, so I guess we're doing something right. That's true, yes. And also joining Phil and I today is uh, Ken McCusick. Ken, better known as Film Study, if you guys are familiar with um, our other site, RussellStreetReport.com. Um, Ken has been doing the film study um, anal analytics over there for years, but he is no neophyte to baseball. Um, you guys might not know this. Ken actually grew up just a stone's throw from Memorial Stadium, and he went to about every Orioles game from 1979 until 2002. Um, he, he and his friend Dave Hollander developed a Orioles stats database between 1984 and 87. And Ken, this is very cool, he did pitch-by-pitch -pitch scoring in the O's press box for Stats, Inc. back in the 90s. So baseball is nothing new to Ken. How you doing today, Ken? Life's good. Life is good. Glad to hear it. All right, guys, let's get right into it. Ken, if you want to um, start us off, you had some things to say about the Mark Trumbo signing. Right. Well, it's a little bit more than the Mark Trumbo signing. I want to go back and talk a little bit about OPS and some of the weaknesses in that. And really what this comes down to is that the Orioles, I think, given the park they play in, have kind of lost track of what they're good at and what they're not good at. And it's, uh, it's caused this Orioles new dynasty, which has had now five straight winning seasons, to be not nearly what the Orioles of the 18 straight winning seasons from 1968 to 1985 were. So let's talk about a little bit about how we got to use OPS as the primary offensive statistic. In the early 80s, Bill James began writing and uh, gave the public, brought to the public, on base percentage and slugging percentage as the two most important offensive statistics. Through about a decade, uh, that changed to largely be a laziness, in my opinion, to go to a single number on base plus slugging. Anytime you add A and B together, there better be a damn good reason why you add A and B together. Or if you want to divide by A and B, rules, same rules apply. But it wasn't a good idea. On base is worth a lot more than slugging. On base actually reduces outs and is, is much more significant to have a higher on base than it is to have a higher slugging, obviously. So adding the two together doesn't really work. Um, on base percentage is still with us. Sorry, OPP is still with us. OPS is still with us after all these years. And uh, they park adjusted it in recent years. It's now OPS plus. Uh, so that standardizes it to the ballpark. It's just and supposedly the league average. So you'll, you'll get a, uh, a number that is 100 if you are league average. Um, so anyway, the, the, so why is this important for the Orioles? We'll come back a little bit. Um, Oriole Park at Camden Yards is a extreme 
hitters park and it obscures from the Orioles what their strengths and weaknesses are. So last year, for example, the Orioles were third in the league in OPS, but had a below average OPS plus of only 99 relative to the league. So 99% is good at the league. So they're in the middle of the pack in runs, but they were very far down in park adjusted runs. Um, and, and that's not good. And, and you can, of course, Oriole Park allows a lot of runs in general. Yes, in general. Great hitters park, lots of runs there, of course. So, yeah, chime in any times, guys. You, you, uh, no, absolutely. Hear um, you bring up OBP, and I, I feel like that's something that uh, Dan and Buck sort of give lip service to every offseason, but the signings don't typically reflect that that's something they are prioritizing. Um, last couple of years, the Orioles were 10th in the American League in 2016. Before that, they were 12th, 11th, 10th, 11th. They've never been in the top 10 in um, what you call this uh, recent dynasty. So it's it, it's hard to sit here and say that, yeah, they care about OBP. Yeah. And then you have a guy like um, Hyunsoo Kim, who they bring in, who had, I believe, a 382 OBP last year. And for some reason, Buck doesn't seem to like him. Well, I mean, he played a lot, but there were reasons why that, that won't work either. Um, you make huge defensive sacrifices even to get the mediocre offense they had last year. And in the outfield in particular, playing Kim and Trumbo, who was a, you know, a huge defensive millstone for this team. Um, and honestly, even Adam Jones at this point in his career is not the outfielder he once was and certainly can't be expected to cover all the ground between those, uh, you know, a couple statues playing left and right field. So what did he do from here then? Well, I, I thought the signing of Fowler had hope last year. To, oh. to, to, <laughs> Remember that was yeah. for a day? <laughs> and that really would have worked out. I mean, yeah. I think that would have been a great signing for the Orioles. It but um, Dexter too, though, I guess. Oh, do we have a phone call coming from him? That'd be good. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, the Mark Trumbo signing is really the one that I wanted to get back to and say a few words to is that he's really a microcosm of the problem. He's as bad a player as you can be with an 850 on base uh, OPS. And to that point, I, I do remember seeing last year that I, I think for a, a player that led the league in home runs, he had like the lowest ever war. I know you're not a fan of war yeah, in no. general, but, but again, that speaks to your point. He gets a lot of home runs, but does nothing else well. I, I will I'll speak to the war thing just briefly. The, my problem with war is this, that war normalizes things to a standard that I don't know if anybody in this room knows, but I'll ask you guys, what's the standard for war? What's the, what, is the, what is the replacement level in war? Nobody knows. I mean, so I, won't, I won't blame you guys, but it's a 294 winning percentage. How do they pick that? I have no idea. I really don't know the reason, but it assumes that you're, you're placing this player on what's otherwise a 48-win team over 162 games and trying to figure out how many wins he would add. And it's just, it's not a pertinent question really ever. So wins above average, if you add Trumbo to a 500 team, otherwise 500 team, you played him in the same opportunity set he had last year, you create a 495 team. So Machado, for example, you add him to the, a 500 team and, and take those same opportunity set, uh, he, the team becomes a 526 team. So uh, it, I, I like wins above average a lot better in terms of what it tells you. But the, the Trumbo signing is not a guy I would pay, you know, a 3 or $4 salary to. He's not quite a $4 salary anymore, but it's for three years of decline. We're paying this now, and, and uh, it upsets me, and I think it was, it was really the, the bad move of the offseason. Well, I, and I think that's why he stayed in free agency for so long because a lot of teams – I mean, we're seeing that in baseball overall. People are not paying for power. I mean, Chris Carter led the National League in home runs last year, and he's in a reserve role now with the Yankees. So I think you're seeing that across baseball, and I think that's also what led to Trumbo wanting a four-year deal and uh, I guess accepting a three-year deal. I mean, the only – what they could have done is they could have just said, hey, Trey Mancini, you're ready to be the DH on his team. Uh, for whatever reason, they didn't want that to happen. 
but now they have to find a way to squeeze him on the roster, which they did. So I, I'm curious to see what happens with him now. Because if you're looking at it, we know that Kim's going to bat against righties, and we know Seth Smith as well. And is Mancini going to be the right fielder, or is he going to be the DH against lefties? There's um, there's a couple of good conversations here, guys, and I like where this is going. Let's um, take a little step back. Um, so before you heard what Ken said, Phil, I want to know how you felt personally about the Trumbo signing. I felt that the contract they gave him, it was worth it. I mean, I think this guy, I understand with the on-base percentage – uh, I mean, last year, the second half of the season, he was he was terrible. But to get a guy like that that you know could hit 35, 40 home runs, I think there's a place on our team with, with him. Now, you can start getting the argument with him and Davis on the same team band back-to-back. But I felt at the price that they gave him, I was willing to accept three years for a guy that I believe is going to hit 35. I think that's the bottom line for him is he's going to hit 35 home runs. Yeah, I think in a, vac- in a vacuum, Mark Trumbo for three years, $37.5 million is fine. In the context of the Orioles is where you start getting into, you know, you have to think about the value you're getting, what you need. Um, I went and looked at MLB trade rumors just to sort of look at some other contracts that guys similar to Mark Trumbo signed this offseason. You had um, Josh Reddick, he got four years, $52 million. Edwin Encarnacion got three years and $60 million. And so, again, based on those, three years, $37.5 million for a guy like Mark Trumbo doesn't seem that bad. But then you come back to where does he fit on this team especially when you add in a guy like Trey Mancini. Um, I was listening on the way in. Ryan Wagner was on 105.7 talking about this. Where do you find at-bats for a guy like that who has shown that he can hit at every level? You want to bring him up to contribute here, and now he's going to hang out on the bench. He's like the third righty off the bench, even on this team. Six DHs on the bench, too. I mean, in total, I mean, you got got everybody who plays left and right field for this team, with a couple exceptions, honestly, really should be a DH. And uh, yeah, you, it's it's a definitely an overstuffed position, and the Orioles are feeling some of that glut right now. And that's why Adam Jones came out in the offseason and mentioned about the outfield defense because he knows it. I mean, it's just tough when you look to your right and left and you see, I guess, below-average defenders. Now, Rickard's a very good defender. He improved last year as the season went on before his injury. Everything we hear about Craig Gentry, he's a top-notch uh, defensive outfielder as well. So I think late in games, they'll be able to make the substitutions needed in order for this team to, uh, for defensively, at least in the corner spots, to hold their own. But when you're looking at at-bats, I mean, Mancini's going to – I hope he's not the odd man out. I would have Gentry as the odd man out because I think if you're bringing Mancini up, you know you're going to sacrifice a little defense for the for the offense, and he has to get his at-bats. And look, against tough lefties, Chris Davis can have a day off. I mean, that's the one thing I, I – Buck Walter, he does a lot of things well, but resting his start and – Lineup is not one of them. Absolutely. And but this is the strongest bench they have ever had under Showalter, and probably in who knows how many years. So you can give Davis a day off against a tough lefty, or when he's in that two week slump that you know he's going to get in. Uh, I feel like that that's what Showalter needs to do, and there's a lot more flexibility that he can do that this year. Yeah, and the bench certainly isn't strong in terms of variety coming off of it, but maybe the fact that you have you know guys that are basically the same. That lets you give guys like Davis and Trumbo a day off and not really miss a beat because you. what do you have coming in? A guy that isn't a great defender who can mash a little bit. And that's, as we've seen, how this team likes to win baseball games. Yeah, I mean, you could pinch run late in games now with Rickard or Gentry. I mean, you would think you could get a right-handed bat off the bench late. Or even if uh, Kim's not starting, you can have him come off the game off the bench late too as well and give it a good at-bat. So I think there is a little flexibility more so than in recent years. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm not seeing the defensive flexibility. That's where you know you need to have some player who can provide that. Rickard can hit a left hander, can't hit a right hander to save his life. So uh, his splits last year are very extreme, and I'm actually hoping they stay that way. That he can be a you know a big bat against left handers that can actually play the outfield and provide some defensive value because most of uh, historically what you'll see is that. Um, good outfield defenses are what are really important. Infield defenses are, are, are good, but outfield defenses are what really reduce hit rates in the, on the balls in play. So, um, you know, I, I'd like to see that. All right, so I think that might be um, a, a good place to seg into talking about outfield defense a little bit. I don't know if you guys saw, but just recently over the past month or so, um, StatCast released some of their data um statcast of course tracks every every hit ball in every stadium launch angle velocity um over the last couple seasons and they released something that they call catch probability um it showed and it's sort of a sort of a um double-edged sword a guy like adam jones um looks like he performs a little bit better than the standard defensive metrics expected him to um based on um, the number of balls that are put in play at a certain angle, certain velocity, that are expected to be caught. Adam Jones, who we've heard for the last couple seasons, uh, has lost a step. He should maybe think about moving to a corner. Uh, he needs to play deeper, whatever. Um, it looks like, at least based on the StatCast data, he's a little bit better than we've been giving him credit for. And why I say it's a double-edged sword, a guy like Mark Trumbo, who many Orioles fans, and I'm guilty of this as well, last year would say, you know what, he's he's fine He's not going to kill you out there. He's not going to make the great plays, but he's whatever. He's fine. He makes up for it. Mark Trumbo was the worst player in baseball as far as what they consider one-star plays, which is balls that need to be caught. He caught 11 of 19 of them last year. Wow. That's pretty bad. Um, the other side of that, um, we heard last year about how Joey Rickard, despite his speed, was a bad fielder. Turns out he's about average based on this. And Yunsu Kim, we heard he was bad. He's about average. So we have some good, we have some bad there with the O's. So I guess the question would be, if Gentry and Seth Smith, are they, would they be enough to replace what Trumbo did last year in the field? And his, if you read the reports on Smith throughout his career, he's better than Trumbo, but he's probably average at best out there. But everything here about Gentry is he's a plus defender. But again, it goes back to, like, so we'll, we'll find out pretty quickly Wednesday when they face Hap, a lefty for the Blue Jays. Which way Buck's going to go? If he's going to go with Gentry in right field, or is he going to go Mancini in right field? And we'll know right away if they really care about the outfield defense, or they're going to, or they're putting more, you know, on the offense. Right. And I would say, early in the season, I would go Mancini for the fact that you brought him up, and if you're going to bring him up on a big league team, you need to play him. If not, then you might as well just send him back to Triple A. Yeah, I mean, I agree that Triple A would be a great place for him if he's if he's not going to play. Seth Smith, I I don't see him, don't project him to be a good defensive outfielder at all. I mean, worse than Trumbo or about? Uh, okay, I'm looking at defensive WAR here. He's been a negative in defensive WAR for basically his entire career. Cost his teams about six point six games in that. And you know, I don't really like WAR, but it's got a two ninety four built in winning percentage with that, and he's got a big negative to go with it. So, that's so they're, not good. they're hoping that his own base percentage then. It's going to be enough to... 344 career, by the way. Yeah. Um, we're, I guess we're going to find out if... Because I guess I was reading this morning with Rockabaco, they think he might lead off. I think I thought it would be Kim, uh, but it sounds like Seth Smith might get first crack at it. It's 
interesting. Um, the lineup they ran out there the other day against Norfolk, uh, a lot of people think it might be the opening day lineup. It might not. We'll find out here in about, what, less less than 24 hours. Um, but, yeah, Seth Smith was leading off, followed by Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Mark Trumbo, DHing, Chris Davis, Juan Castillo, Jonathan Scope, Yonsu Kim hitting eighth, and then Hardy hitting ninth. And to me, what stands out the most there, uh, we've already talked about Kim's 382 on base percentage in his one year of play, and he's languishing down there in the eighth spot. How do you guys feel about that? That makes no sense. I, I would have him lead off against righties, and then that would be easy transition when Rickard plays against lefties that he's your leadoff hitter again there too. I think Kim, uh, unfortunately, we're talking about outfield defense. We could get into that how slow this team's going to be, too. We know they don't steal bases. I'm not even worried about stolen bases. I'm worried about if the ball, if Manny Machado hits the ball in the right center field gap, can they get first Can someone score, right? Yes. Yeah. And when you have Hardy and you have Kim and you have Castillo, Seth Smith's not fast either. I mean, now you're starting to look at guys who are just going to clog up the base pass. And I think that's an issue as well. I mean, you're talking about outfield defense. I, I think team speed is something else that you'll have to follow all season long. You did lose Matt Wieters there, so you got a little Yes, it is true. I don't want to minimize that problem, but the problem is the solo home run offense. The Orioles had 253 homers last year, and they scored 744 runs. And we talk about runs that came on home runs, and that stat is widely looked at, but runs as a total, sorry, home runs as a total of runs, they're absurdly high. I mean, it's a solo home run offense, and they've got to figure out, and I agree with you, I think Kim ought to be leading off um, you know, stolen bases be damned, extra bases be damned. Uh, get some, get some walks in front of those home runs. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I'm with you guys. I'd like to see Ken leading off. If not, then Smith leading off. Um, we know sort of from watching Buck these last few years that he, he's not going to double up lefties at one and two. Mm-hmm. And then you know, if you play with the lineup, if you have one of those guys lead off and you don't want to double up lefties, it's tough to get the next guy in until sixth or seventh. Um, so maybe I, I can understand where Buck's coming from there. You get a guy, who, a high OBP guy later in the lineup to turn it over again. Um, I, I'd like to see Manny Machado batting second personally. Um, doesn't like Trout bat second usually in Anaheim. It's sort of a new school thinking thing. You want your best hitter hitting second. Buck probably won't do that. Um, he, he likes Adam Jones second, which is fine. Um, but, yeah, having Smith and Kim, your highest OBP guys, we're not going to see them one and two, so how can we optimize that within the lineup to make sure that you always have a high OBP guy coming up soon or was just up? Well, maybe that's why they had Kim bat eight the other day because obviously we just talked about you don't want the two lefties back-to-back, so maybe they're hoping... Buck doesn't want that. Yes, I exactly. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're saying, all right, if he bats eighth, now when Jones comes up, you have two guys that own base percentage pretty close to each other in Kim and in Smith. And maybe Jones comes up now with a couple guys on base. Whereas if Kim batted sixth, now obviously there's a lot more hitters after him before Jones comes up. I'm not saying that's right. I wouldn't do that. But I, maybe that's what he's thinking in terms of, all right, how can I get a couple high on base percentage guys bat near each other before the big boys come up? You know, I think it's funny in this in this day and age that we're talking about Seth Smith and his 344 on base percentage as really being – an outstanding player. I mean, yeah, it's, I it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, yes, yeah, I mean, Orioles, so we're looking at, hey, he's got a great one base percentage. It's only three. The, the 1970 Orioles had four guys that had a 390 or higher on base percentage. And I know that's one of the great Oriole teams of all time. Many, many would say the best, but 
still for us to talk about it that way the uh and i'm i'm curious can maybe you can answer this for me did they just walk that much more yeah well the the let me let me just say yeah, this the walks are really the key from 1968 to 1985 the orioles had 18 straight winning years they outwalked the opponents every single season they had teams that were different wow. in a lot of ways but they outwalked their opponents every single season by an average of 109 per year wow. so that's two-thirds of a walk per game the second area of Oriole greatness that's just begun with this five, you know, consecutive winning seasons, the Orioles have been outwalked on average 54 walks per year, and they've been outwalked every single year. So we're going in the opposite direction. I I don't agree with it as a way to build a team. And again, I think the park is just is just hiding all the flaws in, in the way the Orioles have built it. The pitching was great last year, though. I mean, you know, people look at this team and say, "Oh, this is a very mediocre pitching staff." Well, no, it really wasn't. It was a very good pitching staff for this ballpark. Yeah, I mean, now the question is with the rotation with New Tillman. I, I think they're going to struggle out of the gate. Hopefully, they got somebody. I don't know. They haven't announced who they have or think of for the fifth spot. Be, it looks like it's going to be between Unoa or Aquino. Um, I mean, you're just hoping that they hold the fourth down until the beginning of May. I mean, Tillman pitched, had a bullpen session yesterday. Buck was talking about today. He said he felt really good, so he's going to try again tomorrow. And hopefully, he's back by May. Uh, I mean, a lot of pressure is going to be on Gossman and Bundy because we know what a ball and Miley are. They're going to be mid-four ERA guys, which if they're your fourth or fifth starter, fine. you're fine it's with fine. it. Right. But now the fact that they're going to be your third or fourth starter, and, I mean, Bundy's still a question mark at this point, first season as a full-time starter. So that's a big storyline, whereas three months ago, I was actually okay. After they traded Gallardo, I'm like, I, you know, I don't mind this rotation. But now with Tillman injury, where you you think he's going to be back in May, but you really don't know. Right. It's a huge question mark. Uh, and at this point, Gossman has to be the guy that everyone thinks he's going to be. Because if yeah. not, then by May, this team could be looking up in the standings by a lot of games. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, there's no good time for your ace, quote-unquote ace, to be injured. Um, but the Orioles have 25 of their 28 games against the AL East in April. Um, so... We really need Gossman and Bundy to hit the ground running. You know, we've been reading all spring about how they're both sort of ready to take the next step. There's really no time to waste, and, you know, as far as that goes. Um, yeah, I saw what you said. You're talking about Buck. Um, he said Tillman may be back May 2nd, which is best-case scenario. So, you know, you got a couple times through the rotation. Um, they won't need the, that fifth star you mentioned until the middle of the month at least. Um I, actually, I got a text from my dad this morning. He was surprised that they sent Enoa down. And it's my guess is the thinking there is just to get those guys that you mentioned, Enoa, um, Jason Aquino, guys like that, as many, you know, a few starts in Norfolk between now and until you need them. Yeah, I think that's what their uh, logic was, that yeah. whoever was going to be the fifth guy, he's going to AAA. Right, to make a couple starts. Yeah. Whoever does mm-hmm. best, bring them up. They really need to have three pitchers at the bottom of the of the staff, and maybe even four. And it helps to have two starters who are options players, and you know pitchers who you can bring up, start, and then send right back down. And that's uh, you know you once you get to have veterans, you can't do that anymore, and it's uh, it's a hamstring. Well, this is one of the more flexible, I guess, rosters that this team has had in the last couple of years, especially the pitchers. I mean, Tyler Wilson, you could bring up and down. Whoever that fit starter, you could bring up and down. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think Donnie Hart's going to struggle, but if he does, you could bring him up and down. Same with Michael Givens. So, Oliver Drake's the only guy, but I think right. he's going to be – I mean, he's on thin ice Very as short it is. Least, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, when they, when they need Wade Miley, he could be the one that leaves. Yeah. So, 
other than that, I mean, the rest of the guys, you can kind of do what they love doing, which is you pitch, and guess what? You're going to be in the minors. We're bringing someone else up, which is good because, I mean, I, I, Buck loves doing that, so you need the players that you're able to option up and down. Yeah, that's sort of um, right up Buck's alley. Um, they kept Vidal Nuno on the roster. My guess is he's sort of um, set for that. TJ McFarlane role, longer lefty reliever. As long as it's not TJ McFarlane. Hopefully to be better than TJ McFarlane, yeah. exactly. Who I, I think I saw the other day, he doesn't even have a home anymore. I want to say he got reassigned with the Dimebacks. I think he's going to be teammates with uh, Brian Mattis. And I, and I believe Christian Walker, too. I think all three <laughs> no, of those guys. Yeah, I think Walker's on his fourth team since getting yeah. released by the Orioles. That's sort of sad to see. That was a guy that, you know, we liked him. But again, it was uh, <laughs> he was just one more outfielder who <laughs> One more bat only. One more bat only outfielder, which they seem to collect. And you get rid of one and four more spring up. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of drafts are trying to improve that, uh, improve in that area. I mean, the one guy this past spring that had it was also with Cedric Mullins. He was single A Delmarva last year, and he's jumping past Frederick. He's going to be a buoy. Yeah, please go ahead, Phil. Um, You had mentioned him when we were waiting to come in here, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. That's not a name I've heard much about. Tell us about Cedric Mullins. All right, so he's 5'8", really small uh, outfielder, lefty. He hit a home run off Craig Kimbrell the other day when they played. The, oh, okay, uh, that was him. Yep, we right. played against the Red Sox. He had a monster spring. I don't know his numbers off the top of my head, but he brings speed, defense as a center fielder, on-base ability. So they, they love this guy. And he's young, uh, and one of the reasons uh, Duquette was talking today, uh, Tavares, that they, uh, the Red Sox took back because of the Rule 5, they couldn't work out a trade. They said one of the reasons they didn't give up a player for him is because they have Cedric Mullins in the minors, who they feel like has a similar skill set and maybe even better, so they're not going to give up players in their minor league system when they feel like they have a similar another guy who could do the same thing. So Cedric Mullins is one of the guys I'm going to keep an eye on this year. He's in double A, and we know what that means. He's an injury away for making an appearance in the big league team. So that's a guy to definitely keep an eye on this year. Okay, double A at 22, kind of a low on base percentage guy, 325 career so far, I just want to say. So, you know, 22 is a typical year. Great hitters make the major leagues. But uh, let's hope. Let's hope he's a, he's a player and he brings some other things to the to the table. So, Phil, are we thinking like sort of a maybe a Craig Gentry replacement kind of thing if it comes to that? Uh, maybe towards the end of the year, yeah. 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 Uh, but I would imagine if he's having a monster year buoy, they'll obviously bring him up to AAA. But if they needed him, it would be for a spot like if, you know, Adam Jones got hurt or something like that, that they need an everyday player. Uh, but he has to prove he can hit. I mean, look, like he was in Delmarva last year, and Buck always says, you know, March is a big fooler. So we're going to see what he can do in Double A. But the fact that he's making that jump, he's officially on the radar now, and a guy that Oral fans need to keep an eye on. All right, there you go. So Cedric Mullins, guys, keep an eye on him. All right, guys, what would you like to talk about next as far as these 2017 Orioles go? Uh, I, I, I mean, we could go with uh, Manny Machado. I mean, do we think he can? He has more. To his game, is he a forty home run hitter this year? I didn't think Manny was a, a thirty five home run 30, guy. <laughs> yeah, until at least maybe this year, and he did it two years ago. You know, Manny Machado is a guy. <laughs> you know, sort of. We need to cherish this while we're able to watch him every day, and that's something that I've been telling myself for the last couple of seasons. And every year, he just gets somehow he gets better. You know. Um, Ever since he had his second knee injury, um, he's sort of bounced back to where he's right there in that conversation again with Mike Mike Trout. 
Um, I would say Bryce Harper, but I feel like Bryce Harper's moved down that list. So now it's like, you know, Manny and Correa and Trout are, you know, and, of course, Chris Bryant, um, sort of the best players in baseball. And, yeah, he's a joy to watch. Um, I hesitate to put a ceiling on him because every time you do, he, he hops over it. Yeah, it kind of shows you, though, your, your team is really driven in a lot of ways by your stars. So at Manny, Manny Machado is a lot of what makes the Orioles good. There's, there's almost no other player that uh, – well, there are other pitchers, but there's no other player, uh, position player, who's anywhere in the ballpark with him. So uh, it's – I shudder to think that we're going to lose him because I honestly think he's worth an unbelievable sum of money. You, you, uh, uh, he might be worth 40 or $45 million a year by the time he signs. Uh, wouldn't shock me if he's the first fifty million dollar a year man. Yeah, I mean, and I guess early last year he really the team he put the team on his back. Like everyone else, they kind of struggled a little bit towards the second half of the season. Uh, so I want to see him maybe because I don't even think he batted three hundred last year, did he? Not two two ninety seven. Yeah, say. so I want to see him take that next step more on the batting average side as well, and obviously that would help the one base percentage. And then who knows, next year when Hardy's gone, they could consider moving him to shortstop. And if he plays well at shortstop, which I, I would imagine he would, now we're really talking about a right. guy that you're giving $45 million It's just going to raise his value even more, and that would be in a contract season. So if you have to wonder if they would want to do that out of you know even self-preservation kind of thing. He's a, he's a fridge in 2019? 2019. Yeah. yeah. So you have what? The Orioles have two more full seasons with him, right? So you know, which means they may only have another half season with him. Right. Because if you want to, if you want to trade Machado for Max Val, you have to do it with one year left on his contract. And uh, you know, it's unfortunately it could be this July he's gone. I don't think that would happen, even if they were, you know, even if they were in last place. I think Dan Duquette would get run out of town on a rail, um, no matter what he brought back, and no matter how much sense it would make from you know a logical baseball standpoint, mm-hmm. where. There's been a couple times over the last few seasons that it, it would have made sense for them to sell at the deadline. They haven't done that. Um, 2015 jumps to mind. They trade a guy like Zach Davies for Gerardo Parra. I liked Parra. He didn't really work out. And now Zach Davies, you know, I think some people have him at the top of that Milwaukee rotation. So it, it, it sort of hurts. So. You have to say, you know, will Duquette make the same mistake again and again and again and again? Well, you, last year would have been a really interesting year to try and trade Zach Britton because, yeah. you know, he had a year left under contract. And, and what, actually, he still has more time under contract, doesn't he? But, uh, but he had tremendous value because the closer market was just absurd. So if they wanted to do it, they could have done it. And that was certainly the highest, yeah. highest spot they'd ever be able to get for him. The Yankees got a boatload yeah. for, for Chapman. How much did that bother you? I mean, it just bothers me tremendously. The Yankees were able to, you know, sign everybody they want, and then, you know, tr- trade Chapman at the deadline and get well, a mid for it. It was the yeah. perfect storm for them because they had all their agent vets, their contract expired with Alex Rodriguez and all, and obviously Jeter retiring a couple of years ago. So then, the fact that they were also then awful, so then they have a guy like Chapman that they could trade for. I mean, it just worked out perfect for them. Uh, unfortunately, because now not, not only do they have a lot of good young players, they also are going to start having a lot of money. And when you start talk, talking about when Machado's a free agent, it's the same year Bryce Harper's a free agent. There's a lot of big names who are going to be a free agent after 2018 season. And the Yankees basically hit the reset button. They're going to have plenty of money to spend. All right, we're talking about the dark, dark future. We're going to reel it back a little bit here. Let's um let's talk about 2017. How do you guys see the AL East shaking out? Sitting in this seat last year. Uh, even a even a broken clock is right twice a day. I picked the Red Sox to win the division. 
said the Orioles would get a wild card. I was right. I'm going to go ahead and say the same thing again. I think the Red Sox win 97, 98 games, and I think they're probably eight, nine games ahead of the next second-place team, which I think will be the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I predicted the Orioles win 88, 89 games and win the wild card, and I think the Red Sox are definitely a tier to themselves, really. I mean, I think it's them and the Cubs. Uh, we'll see what happens, obviously. I mean, the David Price injury is a concern for them, but when you get Chris Sale, you kind of that's a wash. And we're talking about Davies pitching for the Brewers. I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yep, there you go. There's, there's another one. Yeah, so. But, uh, yeah, I think it's the Red Sox and the uh, Orioles. I think the Blue Jays are going to still fight uh, for a wild card spot. And then the Yankees and the Rays. Ken? Uh, I, I think the Yankees will, will make more noise than that. I think they're going to be a high-scoring offense this year. Uh, it will be interesting to see if they can hold that pitching staff together. The Red Sox are clearly, clearly so far. I mean, the top three in their rotation are so scary. Yeah. Um, and and then the Orioles, uh, you know, I think we we probably are tend to overrate them here, but uh, you know, eighty four, eighty five wins is Everyone reasonable. Else them, so we have to sure. balance that out. Sure, that's fair. But eighty four, eighty five wins might be my and target. We're right and... all the time. <laughs> so far, so good, you know. Yeah. So I, I mean, going back to the Orioles and the training the pitchers and stuff. I mean, it's weird how they value. I don't know the right way to phrase it, but they just give up these arms and then. For guys who they think can help, but then they find ways to bring in like Chris Lee into the organization, and then they got Yanoa, who was already a top fifteen prospect for the Orioles. I, mean, I think that probably says more about how they draft overall. But the fact that they are they give up guys like Davies and Rodriguez, but yet they still find a way to get guys from other organizations who are immediately one of the you know top prospects in their minor league system. You, know, you right. got three you got three levels at which you deal with pitchers. One is you draft them. Okay. Two is you develop them. Where that's where I think the Orioles have really failed. And then at the third level, you manage them at the major league level, where they have just one of the best in the entire game managing the staff and Showalter. But the developmental level is the one that just sickens you with regard to what happened with Strope and Arietta. Eduardo Rodriguez was really a decision, but he'd also pitched poorly for a couple of months. And and you know if he'd if he'd been properly coached in the minor leagues, and you know it might have been a more difficult decision to trade him at least at that point. But the drafting has been fine, I think, in terms of the pitching. And it's really, it's really a question of how have they developed those guys. Yeah. And they've done some organizational shuffling over the last couple seasons. Um, they've shown a, a very marked ability to develop late game bullpen arms out of guys that you didn't think had that in them. You look at Michael Gibbons, who was a shortstop. You look mm-hmm. at Brad Brock, who came from San Diego and he wasn't doing anything there. Obviously, Zach Britton, failed starter and best closer in the game, just like that. So we have to give them credit for developing late-game bullpen arms. Um, as far as developing starters, obviously, they come up a little bit short. Um, I want to go back to something Ken said earlier that probably had anyone listening that was driving crash in their car, that the Orioles were actually a very good pitching team last yeah. year. Can you exp- uh, sure. expound upon that a bit? I, a 447 team ERA, 441 was the league average, but when you park adjust, the Orioles are 5% better than the league average in terms of ERA. So um, it, it would be foolish to call this a really poor pitching team. They're playing in a very tough environment. I really dislike 
having a hitter's park. Now, part of that is my own bias. I grew up with an extreme pitcher's park, and that puts you in a better position to reduce total pitch counts, to reduce a lot of the things, the strain on your, your arms. Because you have to play all your, or half your games in that ballpark. Other teams only have to come there every once in a while, so you get more worn down if you're in places like Fenway or in, in Baltimore. And the Orioles will never be a team, not going forward anywhere, that'll have the unlimited resources of the Yankees or the Red Sox who can overcome being in extreme hitters' parks. But uh, it's, it's, it's really, you do much better if someone would design the next Orioles stadium really as a pitcher's park. Interesting thought, I, and that's not something that you hear often. Um, I'm a guy who talks to a lot of Orioles fans, and that, I'm not going to say opinion, because obviously it's very well-researched on your part, and that's just a very interesting uh, perspective that I haven't heard. So is that based off of the starters and the relievers? We have to, more, total more, many more batters faced in total if you play in a hitter's park. So you, you'll, you'll have more of that. You'll have more pitch counts because you have to be more careful about home runs. One of the things that Bill James used to make a comment about is you have more stress pitch counts. And the, and, and the idea being that Christy Mathewson never really had, a, had to go back for his good fastball because there was no home runs in the game when he pitched. So he, he could throw a lot more pitches because they were low-stress pitches. Almost every pitch thrown in the major leagues, but certainly in places like Camden Yards, is a high-stress pitch now. So that's why pitch counts have come in, and they've been such a more significant factor. So you play in a hitter's park, got to be very careful with that. And uh, Showalter's magnificent in managing that in a bunch of relievers. You know, it's, it's funny that the season ends the way it did, with Zach Britton not getting in. And, and Showalter, who's been the master of, of dealing with that bullpen and dealing with that rotation is all of a sudden, you know, hanged in effigy for right. what he didn't do with Britain. Right. Yeah, um, you know, last season definitely ended on a down note. I'm still, you know, and like you said, he was hanged in effigy. A lot of people, not only, you know, national writers, but Orioles fans were, you know, I always knew Buck would do this, blah, blah, blah. To me, he is still the best manager in the AL East who made a mistake. It mm-hmm. happens, you know. Ubaldo had been very good for the previous four or five weeks. Um, you know, it was, uh, it, I thought at the time it was odd to bring him in with people on base just because of, you know, his history. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the Orioles weren't hitting at, at all that game. I think they hadn't had a base runner since like the fourth or fifth inning. And you can understand why Buck would say, you know, we're just trying to extend this thing as long as we can until we get a run. Did, did Ubaldo come in with a runner first or did he come in to start that inning? I'm trying to remember. That's a good question. My memory yeah. is that he came in with a runner on, but we can talk about something okay. else. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> sure. So, um, yeah, go ahead, Bill. All right, because I, I, I find this pitch itself fascinating. So, basically, with the way if you would, the Orioles, not only the ballpark that they pitch in, but then you combine that with the division that they pitch in, and you would, in the Blue Jays Stadium and Yankee Stadium and Red Sox Stadium, I mean, those are all hitters' ballparks, technically, right? Yeah, yeah. First of all, the Yankees and Red Sox, of course, they're big hitters' parks. But they, the, but my point is, they those teams have unlimited resources to address the problems that that creates. Yeah. So we can't compete with that here in Baltimore. Uh, Toronto, a, a moderate hitters' park, not an extreme hitters' park. So they, they're fine. Their stadium is now built for today's game in terms of of moderate pitch counts. Um, and, and Tampa, I honestly don't know, uh, yeah. but, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously they're not been part of the equation for a couple of years now. But I'm just saying, like, if you, like you said, just all that, that the pitches that really wasn't that bad last year. Um, and that's, it's pretty surprising really. I, and it makes you wonder, and we always say it, Hey, you know, he pitches in American league East, but it's true when you factor all that stuff in, like if Gossman was in, you know, the, 
American League West, how much better would he already be at this point in his career? Or some of the other younger pitchers that failed with the Orioles. Uh, yeah, they, they struggle, I guess, you know, making these guys good major league pitchers. But I think the division does have a lot to deal with that. And I guess right now the case would be Mike Wright. That's a guy that this team feels like can become a starting pitcher. Uh, they don't want to make him a reliever, even though I think he probably should be. But that's the next arm that the Orioles are trying to figure out if they can develop him. And so far they haven't been able to. Because this was his job to lose. Once Tillman got the shoulder injury, they wanted Mike Wright to have this job. And he struggled once again. Yep, he fell apart. He he, he does what Mike Wright does. And it's pretty disappointing. Um, I don't know. Did you see the article of Rosenthal's about Brady, Brady Anderson? I, I think he, he talked about Mike Wright in there a little bit. Yeah, uh, basically Brady swears by Mike Wright. And the conflict was with Dave Wallace was they wanted Mike Wright to – Switch sides at a rubber. Basically, Mike Wright didn't agree with it, and he went to Brady, and Brady told him not to. So that started a whole, I guess, debate of, all right, what side is Brady on? Is he in the front office, or is he for the players? Which I agree with. Uh, but I think, you know, if you're a player, you should be listening to what your coaches are saying. And Do you think it's a problem that Brady Anderson has too much power in the organization? Uh, I would say yes if I had to pick yes or no. Uh, I don't. I think it's a unique situation, due to the fact that he is a former player. Um, I don't think he's doing this like uh, maliciously or anything. I think he truly cares about the Orioles. But you're either a front office guy or you're you're a coach. Uh, I think you do have to pick a side. Yeah, I really don't know. I I feel like this is something that obviously we didn't know anything about two weeks ago. And Ken Rosenthal is known to be a little bit of a crap stir when it comes to the Orioles. He has his sources. Um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. At the same time, you hear guys like Matt Weeders say that it was weird that, you know, that he had a locker with us. And at the same time, he's, you know, he's talking to the GM every day. Um, just backing up a little bit. Bottom of the 11th in Toronto, Brian Dunsing started that inning, struck out Ezekiel Carrera. Then Ubaldo came in, gave up single, single, dong. Yeah. And that, and that was, it was two one-pitch hits, if I recall, or a one-and-a-two-pitch hit or something like that. There wasn't time to get yeah, Britain up right, at that point. Right. It was one-and-one one to Travis, and he singled. Donaldson hit the first pitch, and Karnashio hit the first pitch. Yeah, that was a disaster from the start. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, whatever. It, it was fun to watch playoff baseball. You know, the Blue Jays went and swept Texas, which you know sort of had me all bitter. That You know, mm-hmm. they're going to go win the whole thing now. It was nice to see them lose in Cleveland. Um, you know, I... I'm a bitter fan like that. I don't want whoever beats us to. Yeah, you're a grudge holder. Win it all. I, I absolutely hold a grudge. I understand um, it. I can't root for the Steelers in the playoffs either. Oh so. God, ever. I, I, I can. I cannot watch the playoffs until the Steelers are eliminated. I didn't watch. I didn't watch the playoffs until they lost, and I didn't go back and watch that that um, Antonio Brown play at all mm-hmm. until they until they were out. Because when that happened live, I was I was staring into my hands, <laughs> and I knew what happened, and I left. I said, I'm not going to watch this until the Steelers lose because they're going to be saying the Immaculate Extension paved the way to their stairway to seven for the rest of my yeah, life. I... <laughs> I'm going to throw myself off the key bridge. Well, you know, the funny thing about being a Steeler fan is they so jealously guard those number of Super Bowl wins, and we're a little off track here, that they, <laughs> their their playoff rooting scheme is so complicated. No, we can't have the Patriots win one. No, we can't have San Francisco come back and win one. That's not a problem now, of course, but... Uh, was a problem in 2012. Right, right. So anyway. No, it's fine. These people have been listening to Orioles talk all day long. It's fine to hear a little bit of football talk. Um, 
if you guys don't mind, I would like to talk a little bit about the World Baseball Classic. Did, did either of you watch it at all? I pretty much, I, I'm not going to say I watched every game, but I would wake up in the morning and watch the games in Japan. And obviously I would watch all, you know, Cuba, United States. I would watch all the games, basically. I was all in this year. I loved it. I don't know why I was all in more. Maybe for the fact that Jones and Machado were playing. And they were playing well. But, yeah, man, I was watching. It doesn't didn't matter who was on TV. Yeah. I was watching it. I was in the same boat. I, I've never been into it before. I don't know. if I'm just, I, I, I feel like I'm getting a little bit older, and I appreciate baseball itself more. Like, I've always been an Orioles fan. But now, like, I watch other teams. Um, I had a like I was afraid to watch any baseball, and it was fun, great, competitive baseball. Again, no matter who was playing, and you had it on eight o'clock in the morning and eight o'clock at night, you could watch baseball. You know, competitive baseball, not spring training crap. Um, yeah, it, it, it was it, it was a whole lot of fun. Did you watch it all, Ken? Yeah, I, I did. I watched some of it. Only the United States. That was all I was really interested in. But I, I, again, I. I've watched the dream team in basketball, of course, and we've watched we've watched this in baseball. This was a lot more fun to watch. I thought this is. Um, I don't like a lot of individual kind of players, and baseball is more of an individual sport. But I thought the, the the leadership that Adam Jones brought was very fun to watch on the United States, and I thought they you know they played well and they they did more than just act the part of being a team. Yeah, and Adam Jones he he hit well, which. Mm-hmm. Orioles in fans, crucial situations. Orioles fans, we're, we're not used to Adam Jones doing well when the pressure's on. You know, he, he's up with the bases loaded. I think he has he has no grand slams in his career, I don't think. I, I think he he has one walk-off home run, which is insane given how long he's played and, and what a power hitter he is. A couple years ago, I remember he, he led Major League Baseball in uh, first-inning home runs, like you know, sort of low-pressure things. I'm not trying to turn this in, into an Adam Jones bash. I'm not. I love the guy. I love that he's an Oriole. It was, but you know, his playoff numbers are crap. It was, it was great to see him in a tournament style thing. Big pressure, big emotions. You know, because you know, you can tell he's a guy. He gets emotional. Bases are loaded. He, he, he's ready to fire. Big playoff situation. He's ready to swing. He did very well in this tournament, and maybe it helps. Hopefully, we'll get to see that translate to October baseball here shortly. I agree um, with that. Yeah. Another thing about the World Baseball Classic, we talked about how much fun it was to watch. I want to talk about a little bit the quote-unquote antics. The players from other countries who are having more emotion while they're playing. Um, I feel like, um, Phil, you and I maybe were sort of in an in-between generation. I, I think the younger kids I see on Twitter, they're all about the bat flips they hate, you know, the unwritten rules of baseball. You show up the pitcher, you get beamed. At the same time, we grew up, I think, our, my dad, at least, I don't know about yours, like, it, it, that was a thing. Like, that guy showed the pitcher, he needs to wear one in his ear. That's how this works. Um, watching the World Baseball Classic and, you know, those guys from other countries having so much fun, bat flips, all that stuff, I'm, I, I was sold. You know, like, you know what? MLB needs more of this. It's fine. Let's do that. But then you saw how quickly that can turn. I think it was Venezuela and Puerto Rico. Um, the, the, the Venezuelan pitcher was, you know, he, he was pumping 98, 99. And I think it was Vladimir Ballantin. He, he was barking back at him, you know, bring it, bring it. And the, the pitcher started to headhunt and immediately almost had a fight. So you can see where one thing, even when guys are raising that culture, you know, this is what we're going to do. Baseball, we're having emotion. You can see how quickly it can turn into something ugly. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a happy medium. The problem is, though, it's tough to judge it off the World Baseball Classic because of how meaningful those games were. Yeah. You're not going to uh, see that yeah. on a Tuesday night in June. Absolutely. So, for 162 games, it's hard to have that kind of... No one can of, maintain that. Yeah, exactly. You would burn out by the middle of summer. Absolutely. But in October, when Jose Bautista hit the home run against the Rangers a couple years ago and he flipped the bat, I'm totally okay with that. Even though the following year led to the fight uh, when he slid hard into second base. Right. Uh, but I'm fine with bat flips and things like that. When, when the... Emotion matches the type of game that it is. I mean, if you're doing when it's that, justified, right? Yes. Yeah, not in the second inning in May. Yeah, because then I think your next time up, uh, you make it a high you, tight fastball. You need to wear one. Yes. Absolutely, Ken. No, I, I I agree. I think this is the kind of uh, every game mattered situation where it's certainly you can wear your emotion on your sleeve, and this is a, a a time of national pride as well. So it's a good thing. So yeah, and uh, you know, sort of the same token, MLB is doing its best to sort of bring in a younger audience. They're doing weird things to the game to try to speed it up. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw that they got rid of the intentional walk this year. So now mm-hmm. now if you want to intentionally walk a guy, you just tell him to go to first. To me, this is asinine. It's solving a problem that doesn't exist. It is true that games are longer now. It's not because of intentional walks. Um, one of my favorite baseball writers, Grant Brisby, um, he writes for... Um, San Francisco Giants SB Nation site. I can't think of what it's called right now. McCovey Chronicles. He watched like a 1984 baseball game and then like a 2016 baseball game that had the same score to see what you know what the heck the difference was. And again, it's a one-game sample. You can't draw huge conclusions. But the big difference he found it wasn't commercial length. It wasn't anything. You know, it, it wasn't more visits to the mound, which we talk about. It was time between pitches. Things that you can put on the pitcher and the batter. Get in the box, throw the ball. That kind of thing. If um, Rob Manfred really wants to speed up the game, I think he needs to look more more into enforcing the rules that are already on the books. Stop stepping out of the box, throw the ball. Instead of these odd changes, like let's stop having intentional walks. Yeah, the game the game has evolved. I just want to say this from going to a pitcher to batter responsibility for that because we in the in the eighties we had slow hitters slowing down the game. You, Mike Hargrove was the human rain delay was his nickname, and you know we, I think it's more the pitchers now, and it's more probably the fact that all all pitches are pressure pitches, which has led to that. Do you know? Did he he normalized for score? Did he normalize for number of pitches thrown in in that study? Yeah, yeah, it, it was very similar. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it, it comes down to pitches between at bats and batters, and I guess even, even though they had the clock now between in, and so I like that. But yeah, and the catchers going out to the mound every couple minutes, and what Bucks talked about in September when they have the September call ups, which is odd. Yeah, uh, last year I think in September it was like the Blue Jays game. They had eight or nine pitchers, but they pitched in one game because they had the expanded rosters, right. and that just adds up over time. So. There's a lot of things they could do, and but the intentional walk is not going to solve anything. Right. Like, what? I, I don't know. Maybe it, it's something silly to think about. And as Orioles fans, we have that memory of Miguel Cabrera reaching out to hit an intentional walk pitch that, you know, it sort of stands out in our minds. Well, I remember Terry Matthews in Detroit, old yeah, wild Detroit. Pitch. Yeah. He threw the wild pitch on the intentional yeah, walk. Yeah, right. And I, I think it might have been, I don't know, a year or two ago, the Orioles, I think, won a game on a wild pitch intentional walk. Yes. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like when you're changing a game like that, now there's an issue. Yeah, don't try to be the NFL that changes rules every year. You know, baseball it's not perfect, but it, it's been 
in a very similar form for a long, long time. And I'm not really into, you know, the proposals to shorten the season or anything like that. It, I don't know. I like it how it is. I don't think, again, changing intentional walks is going to – there was like less than one per game. So what is that going to do to the – 30 seconds the, a game. The, the average yeah. length of a baseball game. Yeah. And then in the World Baseball Classic, it, I guess in the 11th inning, they had guys at first and second. Yeah, which, which for a tournament, it's fine. But yeah. that was something I think that, that was floating around this spring, right? Like that might have been something even Cal Ripken had. They wanted to see how it went. And yeah. I know uh, no. I cost. The answer, the answer's no. Yeah, call, yeah the answer's no. <laughs> I mean, come on. Weird baseball in the fifth, nineteenth inning when you have Chris Davis pitching. Yes. That's something you remember forever. Let's. It's not happening often, but let's not take away the chance of that. Yeah, it's it's still on my DVR, and I I, I hope oh, yeah. the DVR doesn't die, and I I, I lose it. But the, uh, but it's wonderful to watch that every once in a while. Twenty twelve games. Yes. The DVR that is awesome. Yes. I'm so, really jealous. I wish like I've changed cable a couple of times, so I lost. It. I'm jealous. These yeah, I mean these DVRs don't last forever either. So it was a big deal when I lost a bunch of old football recordings. But uh, but I just wanted to address that in one way. I think there are two speeds at which we watch baseball because you go to a ball game, you sit with people, you enjoy the conversation you enjoy the discussion over the game itself and the thinking man's aspect of it. But if you watch a game alone, do you fast forward between pitches? Because I do. I can't stand to wait. I could have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially because I forget exactly what it is. I can, you know, I can share the link with you guys, but it was like the, the number of times it was more than 20 seconds between pitches. It was like five or six times longer last year than it had been in, in 1984. Get on the mound, throw the pitch, man. I, I agree with that. Uh, let's see. Predictions. What do we think about Chris Davis this year? Do you think the jam dislocated thumb is why he struggled so bad last year? I feel okay giving him the benefit of the doubt. I feel like there's a thing that is odd year Chris Davis, 2013, 2015, and I'm going to go ahead and double down him for 2017. I think he'll bounce back. I think he'll hit 45 home runs. I think his average will be a little bit more towards his career average of 270 than 225. Yeah, I agree with that. I was asked last night, actually, who I felt was going to lead the team in home runs. And when I said Chris Davis, the people were like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm actually confident. I think he's going to lead. Because I think Trumbo is going to regress. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. I think 35 home runs is fine. Yep. But when you hit 47 last year, I, I can already see people saying it's a disappointing season for him. Right. And like we talked about with Machado, I mean, uh, 40 home runs is a lot of home runs for him, yeah. uh, no matter how good a player he is. But Chris Davis, 45 could come easy for him. Yep. Right. So I think Chris Davis is going to bounce back in a big way uh, in 2017. I agree. I'm I'm all in on Crush this year. I, I'm going to state it one way different. You remember the movie Ghostbusters? You guys might be too young for this. Oh, my God. This is horrible. Okay. So anyway, they're on the roof at the end, and one of them comes up with the idea of crossing the streams, and, and then Bill Murray's character jumps up, and he goes, I love this plan. I'm happy to be a part of it. You know, kind of thing. That's where I am with Chris Davis, because there isn't another alternative. He's signed for six more seasons, I believe. So at $23 million a year. So it better pay off, and we, we better hope it pays off. <laughs> so yes, wonderful. I'm all in on Chris Davis providing more than he did last year. And 250 a career average, sure. If you could do that, that'd be yeah, wonderful. That's fine. And all right, we have, we, we have time for probably a couple more predictions. What else you got, Phil? All right, Jonathan Scope, 30 home runs. Oh, I'm going to go under. Under. Yeah. Kevin Gossman, 210 strikeouts. Under. I'll go over. I was going to say right around 210. I'll, yeah, I'm going to say right around 210. How many he's good. I like this format. How many innings do you think? Uh, I would go with uh, – he's going to get – uh, he's going to have to get 200 innings. Yeah, in and to get 200 I'm, I'm under on that. 
right. on 200 innings. Right. So Dylan Bundy then, uh, ERA under 3.8. Under. 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 I'm going to go under. Yeah. All right. Is that Britain? Earn runs six. Ooh. For the whole year? Yeah. Oh, way over. I, I don't think way over. I'll put it at eight. I take the over on that. <laughs> how many he gave up last year? Three? I thought it was five. Five? I'm, I'm going to look. Yeah, it's... And, and we're talking earned runs, not, not unearned, yeah, right? Just earned, earned, okay, earned good. Runs. Yeah, let's do that. So last year he gave up four earned runs. <laughs> there you go. So but double it at eight. Years before, when he had been a successful closer, a 201 ERA, he gave up 14. I'm sorry, 192 ERA. 165, he gave up 14. So for him to give up eight runs. He's going to regress. Yes. A- absolutely. All right, J.J. Hardy, over, under, 135 games. Oof. Ooh, that's a hard one. I think it would be over if he got smarter rest. But as we said earlier, Buck, you know, he's not really good at resting his guys. So yeah, I, like, if you have a Monday off, why not rest him Sunday? I think J.J. will have two two DL stints, and that'll put him under. You, you said 135 was your number? Yeah. Yeah, that's rare, right where I put it. No, no wager. So <laughs> if he misses 30, he's at 132. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Adam Jones, over, under, 22 walks. Ooh. <laughs> he, walked a, he walked a couple times in the in WBC, and, you know, it's one of those things you're like, what? Oh, God. How many did he have last year, Ken? 39. 39? But his totals from 2010 on, 23, 29, 34, 25, 19, 24, 39. So, yeah, so you, your spirit was correct. All right, one more, one more, Phil. All right, let's go with. All right, who can? Oh, right, Wellington Castillo. Ah, Wellington. Over under twenty home runs. I don't oh. think he's ever hit twenty. I'll say under, but better. Whatever you want to use, OPS plus, WRC plus, whatever. Then Matt Weeters. Way better than Weeters. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I my prediction was by May we would forget who Weeters was. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. All right, that about does it for us. Please check us out, utahstreetreport.com. Check out Ken, russellstreetreport.com slash filmstudy. Um, next, we got Backdoor Sports coming in for their second hour of the day. Those guys are ready. And um, we have less than, well, we got 22 hours before Orioles baseball. Happy 2017, Birdland. Thank you so much. <laughs>